Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Thursday morning. It is May the 19th, 2022, 7.03 on your Tucson Thursday. And uh, joining us here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. We are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Glad to be with you for the next two hours here. And uh, sorry I missed you yesterday. Technology came up and uh, bit us right in the rear end. Don't know exa- I still don't know exactly what happened. Uh, went out and spent a bunch of money on a new modem slash router combo thing like super awesome new piece of equipment here in my home and uh hopes that it would solve whatever problem because yesterday no internet for like all morning like all mid-morning and stuff still couldn't get things figured out finally it came back on i still don't know i still don't know right now if it was the device or if it was my internet provider just being like no i'm sorry we're having an outage and then didn't report it so i i don't know so hopefully we're good to go brand new piece of equipment here and internet seems to be working and everything's good so keep our fingers crossed that the uh uh, the technology will keep us on the air today but glad to be with you like so i you know i was prepared for yesterday i was prepared for yesterday's show had a great show planned for you guys and then that's going to carry over into today where even more stuff has been piled in uh piled on including a bunch of stuff from overnight that happened and it is a crazy busy day today here on the Jeff Dean show. It's one of those days where I wish I had four hours instead of two because then I could actually get to everything that I want to talk about today, but we'll do our best. So let's begin with the NBA playoffs because we got our first look of the Western Conference Finals, the Dallas Mavericks in San Francisco taking on the Golden State Warriors, the five seed versus the three seed in the Western Conference after the Mavericks completely and utterly embarrassingly dismantled the Phoenix Suns in Game 6 and 7 of their series, shooting the absolute lights out. And in, I mean, just listen, the pain of being an Arizona Wildcats fan and or a Phoenix Suns fan is knowing, right, that the the team who eventually eliminates you, whether it be from the NCAA tournament or from the playoffs, the team that eliminates you are going to have their best shooting night or their best shooting series of their lives. Like, that's just, that's, that's what we've come to expect here as, the, as fans of the Wildcats and or the, the Suns, right? The Dallas Mavericks, in their series against the Phoenix Suns, they shot 35% from the, from the field or from the three-point line for the season. And then... In the series against the Suns, they outscore Phoenix by 99 points from the three-point line. Can't, can't miss in certain, I mean, like, Max A. Kleber, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson finally woke up. Now, Luka had kind of an up-and-down three-point uh, shooting series. He was one of ten in one of the games. He was two of seven in another one. But for the most part, was pretty, you know, pretty right on uh, for Luka. It was everybody else around him, Dorian Finney-Smith, Everybody else around him was shooting the absolute lights out. So it's it is it is kind of accepted, I think, at this point, for fans of 
Wildcats and or Phoenix Suns to know that you're going to have your heart absolutely ripped out of your chest by a team who shoots the lights out, has never shot that well in their entire lives, and may never shoot that well again. And then that maybe little glimmer of a still-beating heart that is just kind of twitching out of, <clears throat> you know, out of just, you know, sheer memory of doing it repetitiously for the last however many years every second is twitching still. And then to watch that team completely stomp on it in their next game or next series by shooting like absolute doo-doo <laughs> in the next matchup. We saw it. I mean, I, I'm not going to try to go back all the years that this has happened because that would be extremely painful for us. But in recent memory, we watched the Houston Cougars team not be able to miss even contested three-point shots against the Arizona Wildcats in the tournament and then turn around and go one of 20 in their next game. One of 20. <laughs> now, for the Phoenix Suns, the Dallas Mavericks are raining down threes like it's going out of style. <clears throat> As I mentioned, they outscored Phoenix by 99 points in the series from beyond the arc. They were a 35% shooting team on the season, shot well over 40% against the Phoenix Suns, and it wasn't like the Suns were just letting them shoot. Now, there were some wide-open shots. That's going to happen in the NBA. Okay? Uh, but it wasn't like the Suns were just like, hey, we're going to pack the lane and just let you shoot all night long. That wasn't, that wasn't the, the plan. Shot over 40%. And then last night, they go out there, folks, I, 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 I thought I was in the middle of a nightmare watching the first quarter of that game. They missed, the Dallas Mavericks missed 15 three-point shots. 15 in the first quarter. I mean, I, I don't know any team who would even attempt 15 three-pointers in the first quarter, let alone miss 15 of them. They were 3 of 18 from beyond the arc in the first quarter. 3 of 18. Eight of those 15 misses were wide-open shots because Golden State was, in fact, packing the lane. They said, we dare you. We dare you to get into the paint. You are not getting into this paint. They packed it in. So Dallas would drive to 17 feet, 16 feet, kick, open jump shot, clang. They were, you know, stops and pops. There were step-back threes. They, they tried every single th possible combination of three-point shot you could possibly attempt in the world of basketball and missed every stinking one of them. So they had so many, eight wide open. They were, I counted them, there were eight wide-open threes that they missed. They were 11 of 48 in the game from three-point land. Jalen Brunson was 0 for 5. Dorian Finney-Smith, who couldn't miss in the postseason, 1 of 3. Maxie Kleber was left wide open all night long. They were, go ahead. We dare you to try to shoot the 63% that you shot against the Phoenix Suns. Guess what he did? One of four. <laughs> Come on, man. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm sitting there watching just in absolute. Like, it was kind of that situation where you're so angry and so incredulous that you're just laughing. People were like, what's so funny? I'm like, oh, this game. This game is hilarious. 
They're like, what do you what do you mean? And I explained to them, like, this is what being a Phoenix Suns fan is like, or this is what being an Arizona Wildcat fan is like. To watch some team just go off, completely go off, out of character, and just rain down buckets on on top of your team, ousting you from whatever tournament you've uh, you've you've earned your way into, and then you watch that team in their next game, and they are absolute trash, trash. Oh my God, it was it was painful, painful to watch that game last night. And you got Steph dancing around. And I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Golden State Warriors hater. I'm going to root for the Golden State Warriors because I can't stand the Dallas Mavericks. I'm going to root for the Golden State Warriors. I'm going to root for my boy, Steve Kerr. I'm going to root for my boy, Andre Iguodala. And I like Steph Curry. I think Steph is great. I love watching Steph play. I love watching Steph mix it up. I like watching Steph dance. But, damn, it, Dallas could have just put up somewhat of a fight last night. They were down 31 at one point in that game. Good grief. End up losing the game by 25-112-87. Game was never close. Never. It was close to tip. And then that was it. Dallas missed every shot they took last night. 11 of 48 from the three-point line. I, I, can't do it. I can't do anything but laugh about it. It was so disgusting. Just like, yep, that's, that's par for the course. That is uh, that is right on brand for what we go through, what we endure as fans of these two programs. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. So uh, game two coming up tomorrow. See what happens there. Dallas pulls themselves out of the out of the uh, the garbage dump for shoot forty eight three point attempts. I, I mean, look, I give credit to Golden State. Like, their defensive game plan was great, and they executed it well. Um, you know, they've got some bigger bodies they can throw at Luka, guys like Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins. You know, they can throw those guys at, at Luka. Um, and, and he, you know, those guys can guard out in space and can body him up. And they've got guys like uh, Bielicha and Jonathan Kaminga and, you know, Otto Porter, who's no slouch either. They can, you know, they can body him up a little bit. So they've got the dudes to be able to, you know, to get in Luka's way. Luka didn't have a good game last night. He was 6 of 18 from the field. Uh, had 20 points, but he was minus 30 on the plus-minus. Had seven turnovers last night, so not a great game by any stretch of the imagination for anyone, let alone Luka Doncic. So give credit to the Golden State Warriors, whose <laughs> all of their starters scored in double digits. Go figure. Yes, even Kevon Looney, who doesn't score, like, like I don't like doesn't know how to, I think, sometimes. He was 5 of 5 from the field. Of course he was. Perfect. Had 10 points. <laughs> Four assists, five rebounds. Yeah, nice game for himself. Everybody scored in double digits. Draymond Green scored in double digits. Wiggins was launching threes with reckless abandon. Steph wasn't great. He was three of nine from the from beyond the arc. He had twelve rebounds. That tells you how badly Dallas was missing their shots, like moon shots that were coming off and ejecting themselves into separate zip codes out in the area where Steph Curry likes to roam around on defense. He was hauling down all. He, there was one. It was one rebound. He didn't like. He didn't even know what how it got to him. He just turned around. The ball was in his in his tummy. And he's like, oh, okay. It took him by surprise. The ball came twenty two feet off the rim. It got missed so badly. That's it's typical. So freaking typical. Anyway, yeah, series, 
So he stays in Golden State uh, in San Francisco. Next game's tomorrow. Got another Eastern Conference game tonight. The Miami Heat taking on, uh, of course, the Boston Celtics. Exciting first game. Uh, you know, Boston was without two of their uh, two of their better players, of course, and then uh, they take an early lead. It looks like they were, you know, they had a commanding lead in that uh, in that game. And then Miami came storming back. Jimmy Butler had a huge game both on both ends of the court. Uh, ends up with 41 points and like like three or four block shots. I think in that game looked great, and uh, Miami ended up taking that game, winning comfortably uh, by the finish line. And that game two is tonight in uh, in Miami. Of course, Miami with a uh, with a one game lead over the Celts, and uh, we'll continue to watch that crazy night in NHL Stanley Cups last night. A 15 goal game in the uh, in the in the, you know in the books there, and then it followed uh, it followed a uh, three goal game from earlier where. Carolina had to come back, storming back. I shouldn't say storming back. Storming back one goal down to uh, to the Rangers and uh, getting the game winner in overtime. So Calgary leads that series one nothing. We'll have some more NHL updates for you uh, coming up a little bit later on. Other stuff in the news. Well, okay, there is there's a ton. Of, we're gonna have a lot of college football to talk today. A lot of college football. That makes me extremely happy. By the way, it's my favorite sport. I love talking college football. Very passionate about it. I have a lot of opinions about it. And I certainly have a hell of a lot of opinions to offer for you today. Also, a lot of stuff going on in regards to U of A, players, programs, things on campus, great things happening with uh, some of the programs there at Arizona. We'll update you on everything. And there's a lot going on on campus. Um, and there's some NFL news and notes, if I can even get to it. Like, there's there's not a whole lot, but I promise to talk NFL every single day here on the Jeff Dean Show. That's my promise to you. So we will get into some NFL talk at some point uh, as the Arizona Cardinals have signed seven of their eight draft picks with uh, just one remaining. And there were some other uh, some other things going on around the league the last couple of days that we'll update you on as well. The Pac-12, which had led the lobbying process to the NCAA all the way up to uh, to Indianapolis, in regards to wanting the NCAA to allow the Power Five conferences, or just any conference for that matter, to be able to construct the way that they uh, the way that they name the two combatants in the conference championship game for football, uh, to give them a little more a little more power to do things, you know, give them some some opportunity to make their own rules in regards to how they pit the two teams in the championship game the ncaa made that ruling yesterday said yep we're you're good stamp of approval signed off on it and now the pac-12 and other conferences don't don't forget about that and we'll talk about that because other conferences will now have the opportunity to essentially scrap the divisional type of of format within their conferences and go to a similar situation like what the Pac-12 is doing, and I'll update you on that coming up. I have a, a full, you know, kind of breakdown on exactly what it means for the Pac-12, what we're going to see happen in the, uh, you know, in the, um, uh, like, essentially, like, in, you know, in the process of, of determining who's going to play in that conference championship game and what it means for the future of the Pac-12 as, in regards to how the division setup looks. They're going to stay with the division set up for this year. They can't change it because the scheduling has already been done and stuff like that, but I would anticipate them getting away from the divisional type of format in the, for the 2023 season, but we'll talk about that coming up as well. 
More college football as Nick Saban opens his mouth but did not insert his foot, which he probably should have done because he was speaking a whole lot of garbage last night. Whole lot of trash being talked by Nick Saban. And it's a situation where he probably should have just kept his mouth shut because this is now going to open him up to a lot more criticism than I think he even intended to. And I know that he was trying to send a message. I get it. That's what Nick Saban does, especially at the cantankerous age of 70. Uh, But uh, uh, not a good look for Nick Saban last night, and a lot of people are going to be cashing them receipts coming up probably within – well, immediately there's been already been some backlash uh, from some other coaches in the Power Five and in college football, including Deion Sanders, who he does a commercial with, who he slammed in a meeting yesterday. So we'll talk about all that. I've got a ton of things to get into today. So we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we will talk about the Pac-12 getting clearance from the NCAA to change the way that they construct their conference championship game. That is next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. Glad to be back with you here. And uh, busy, busy, busy Thursday today. Now, it was reported yesterday, we have been talking about here on the Jeff Dean Show for uh, a couple of weeks now, about the Pac-12 lobbying with the NCAA to allow them uh, you know, a, a little more autonomy in how they crown a champion for football, specifically how they determine the two teams who will compete in the conference championship game. But they needed the NCAA to sign off on it to where – Everyone had the ability to now make their own changes the way that they wanted to do it and can go about their business. And and as we get, look, first of all, a, a little aside here, it's good that the NCAA is allowing these Power Five conferences to have a little more autonomy because they're starting to feel the, the you know, the, I guess, the, the, the weight of the fact or I guess the, the lack thereof of their ability to govern college football any further. So uh, I think it's good the NCAA didn't need to dictate the conference championship games. They only need to dictate who's going to be playing in the NY6 games and eventually the national championship. So uh, so I'm glad they got out of the way and are letting the conferences decide how they want to, uh, uh, how they want to construct their conference championship game. With that being said, the Pac-12 will now enact a new model for the 2022 season, which will result in essentially the conference using winning percentage in conference games to determine who the best two teams in the league are. So, and this was this was a unanimous decision. There were a lot of different ways that they could have gone about it. They were looking at uh, CFP rankings. If they went strictly by CFP ranking, the top two CFP ranking teams would have gotten in. Uh, there were other other you know ways that the total wins that they could have gone through it but the the way that was decided unanimously voted unanimously by coaches athletic directors and school presidents unanimously was the conference winning percentage uh model so that's what they're going to use for this upcoming season and they're not going to scrap the division model yet we've talked about this okay that the Pac-12 wants to get away from the division model because it will allow them 
more more flexibility in the way that they schedule. Plus, it will also help them get away from the nine-game conference schedule if and when they decide to do that. Now, based on, and we'll get into that in a moment, because there's still more to talk about there. There's still more to unpack in regards to the division model. But right now, we're going to talk about the things that are, not the things that are not yet. What are, or what is, I should say, is the new model that's going to determine the conference championship contenders. Now, the conference championship participants, okay, the, the conference championship participants, the, the game participants, in the 11 years of the, of the Pac-12 conference championship game, five of those years, the teams would have been different had they been using this model, going all the way back to the first one in 2011, when it was Oregon versus an unranked UCLA uh, Bruins team, a game that Oregon won 49-31. to uh, that game was played in Autzen Stadium. That was back when the, the higher-ranking team got to host uh, the conference championship game before they went to neutral sites. Uh, they would have played the number four team in the country, Stanford, that year if they had, uh, if they had used this model, which would have been, obviously, right, a, 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 much, uh, a much more, first of all, a, a much more competitive game because those two had just played each other a couple of weeks before Oregon getting the edge. I think it was 13-10 to 10 or something like that. It was a really close game. I know that. Um, those two all have had, had a lot of wars back in the day. We'll uncover some more here in a moment. But that would have been number nine Oregon versus number four Stanford. If Oregon wins that game against the number four team in the country, then obviously they're going to move more highly up the, the rankings and they're going to get noticed. Same for Stanford. If Stanford had been given the opportunity for a revenge game against Oregon, in Autzen Stadium like that and come away with a victory. Now you're looking at the number four team in the country with a win over the number nine team in the country on the road in the conference championship game, and they get elevated. Okay, The following year, uh, Stanford and Oregon would have played each other again instead of Stanford versus UCLA. That game was that game was not a blowout. That game was close. It was 27-24. Stanford didn't have a whole lot of blowouts unless they played us, it seemed like back then. Uh, but that would have been Stanford versus number five, Oregon. So the the tables would have flipped because Oregon was the higher-ranked team, but Stanford went into Autzen that year and stunned them uh, in Autzen Stadium that year, winning that game to everybody's surprise. Uh, so it would have been eight versus five instead of UCLA. UCLA was pretty good that year. They were number 16-ranked team in the country at the time, but it would have been better for the conference to have Stanford playing Oregon that year. In 2015, Stanford would have played Oregon again. The number seven Stanford Cardinal would have played Oregon. Now, Oregon was only ranked number 16. The game that was actually played that night was Stanford-USC. USC was the number 24-ranked team in the country, I think. Uh, and Stanford put a walloping. The North has been walloping the South in conference championship games all along. It's, the games haven't been close. Um, and, you know, we're familiar with that, obviously, but... Uh, so that game would have been would have been different as well. Not a whole lot of change, you know, across the country at least. You know, it, not a whole lot of impact. But it would have been Stanford versus Oregon again, and obviously Oregon carries like that. You know, for for voters and such, they see that that green O, and they're like, oh, somebody beat them. That's that must be really 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 good. Uh, 2018, there would have been a change. A Washington was in that game. That was the Apple Cup rematch. Remember, or that would—I'm sorry—that would have been the Apple Cup rematch had 
uh, had we gone to the, 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 the current formula. The uh, Washington Huskies ended up playing Utah, who was the number 17 ranked team in the country that year. Uh, and, you know, look, they were, you know, they were very good. That was a, a, one of the worst football games ever, though. It was what, 10-3, I think, was the final score of that game. Uh, Utah didn't even get in the end zone against Washington. But it would have been Washington versus Wazoo in that game had they played uh, the, the as far as conference winning percentage goes. And then finally in 2020, interestingly enough, it would have been USC. Now, USC was slated to play Washington in 2020, but uh, Washington did not play because of COVID restrictions. So it would have been it would have been USC versus Colorado in that game. Two teams from the South. Colorado was ranked number 25 in the country. USC was ranked number 13. Instead, USC played Oregon and got bounced. Got they got embarrassed in that game. Uh, the game that was played at home in the Coliseum for for USC. And Oregon went up and down the field on them, and they couldn't stop them. So uh, that would have been, a, you know, a little bit different as well, as they would have probably gotten a better chance for a dub against Colorado. Not, you know, not saying that Colorado's trash or anything, but I, I think just overall, uh, when you're looking at athletes and things like that, as you can't deny that Colorado has fallen short of Oregon over the, I don't know, last 25 years or so. So USC would have played a ranked team and more more than likely gotten a win in that game had they played against Colorado. So all that being said, look, this is a good thing. I, I have I have said all along, ever since it was proposed by George Klyavkov and Merton Hanks and all of the athletic directors and presidents and coaches here in the Pac-12, that they wanted more autonomy. They wanted the ability to be able to change the model of how they, they, they pair the two teams for the conference championship game because they know that it oftentimes – the two best teams in the in the in the conference reside in the same division and that was not possible by the previous model now that brings us to the next little bit of of you know wrinkle to this particular change by the NCAA now i mentioned earlier that this was an NCAA ruling it wasn't just the Pac-12 changing and the NCAA doesn't do anything that says you know, that allows basically one conference to single themselves out from the rest. So this was a nationwide change, meaning that other conferences can now employ a new model for how they crown a champion or how they pit the two champions against one another in their conference championship game. So the SEC can now say, well, we're going to take best winning percentage. Instead of putting Alabama, you know, versus, you know, whatever team happens to win the West, in the SEC against, you know, maybe it's, you know, seven and five Mississippi State, you know, who knows, you know, who it could be. Uh, they're going to say, well, we're going to take the two best teams, and sometimes that would be the two best teams from the East. It would be Alabama, LSU in the, in the you know, the, the championship game, you know, whatever. <clears throat> so I'm not looking at the divisions right now. I, they've changed, and I don't remember them all right now off the top of my head. But I'm saying that there's been often times where, you know, Alabama Auburn in the in the SEC championship game could be could be a real thing where you see, you know, if Auburn's ranked top ten in the country and Alabama's ranked top five in the country, instead of playing the number seventeenth ranked champion from the other division, they'd play Auburn. You know, so again, this is going to this is going to help all of the conferences and in addition help the Pac twelve. So 
it's not just a slam dunk for the Pac-12, and it is. It's the right move for them, but everybody gets to play that way. It'll be interesting to see how other conferences, though, what model they use. And we'll talk about that coming up after the break. You're listening here to The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, so now I'm looking at the divisions here in the SEC. I'm like, I think I just named all teams from the West. <laughs> I always forget, man. I, I I do. I get the only one more confusing than the SEC is the Big Ten because I I don't know what they were thinking when they split up the Big Ten the way that they did. But regardless, so let's take for instance, let, let's say let's say that the SEC says, hey, we're going to do that too. We're going to uh, we're going to make it so that the best conference winning percentage gets into the uh, gets into the uh, the the, uh, the the playoff or the championship game. Now, granted, last year, Georgia, obviously, number one team in the country, won the championship, this and that. Look at the recruiting uh, the recruiting numbers, though. We're going to talk about this later in the show, for sure. Uh, because the last two years, Alabama and Texas A&M have both been number one and number two in the country in recruiting. They both play in the West. So there could be a situation where Alabama, a five, top five team, is playing Texas A&M, maybe a top five team or a top eight team, instead of playing, I don't know, Tennessee or something, if they emerge from the east, if Georgia, you know, happens to have a setback. And I'm not saying that Georgia will. I'm just saying that this this could this can go both ways. This could help the Pac-12, and I think it will, or it could hinder the Pac-12 a little bit because it could open up situations for other teams, another SEC team to get in there, or, you know, a chance for... You know, like, let's say, okay, let's say for this, you know, for just for argument's sake, the Texas A&M, they, they get in in a championship game situation where they're the number eight ranked team in the country, and they're not going to be able to, um, to you know, to get into the, uh, the four-team the four college football playoff unless they win the SEC championship. And if they finish second because they lost to Alabama in the regular season, they would have, they would have an opportunity to do that. But then, if the SEC changes the model, let's say Florida is you know nine and three, and they end up winning the the, the East, uh, but isn't good enough, isn't as good as as A and M. A and M gets their shot at Alabama, they win. Now all of a sudden, you've got the SEC champ in Texas A and M, who has now split the season series with Alabama, who was the number let's say number two team in the country behind somebody else. They're now automatically into the CFP because they're the, the SEC champion. And then you think that CFP committee is going to say, uh, let's leave Alabama out of this. No. <laughs> so, th- th- there again, you'd have the SEC with two teams in the CFP, and it doesn't matter who the Pac-12 winner is and who they played unless they're the number one team in the country because the ACC going to have their due. Uh, you still got the, the Big 12, although in a couple of years, the Big 12 is not going to have much of an argument anymore now that uh, Texas and Oklahoma are headed to the SEC. But the ACC, the Big Ten, Big 12, all going to have their say and who gets in. And the CFP, of course, who doesn't watch Pac-12 football, apparently, they're just going to continue to go about their business. So, again, this is a good move. It is a, it was, it was a must-have move for the Pac-12. This was the right thing to do at the right time. Uh, I'm just saying that it, it could end up helping the other conferences as well. Now, it got me thinking. 
2022 conference championship game. Okay, and I'm listen. I'm not going to sit here and be like you know idiot optimist Homer. Uh, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to say Arizona could play in the conference championship game this year. Arizona's not ready to compete for the conference championship. They're they're they're, they're not going to you know this team is not going seven and two in the conference this year. Okay, and that's what it's going to take to most likely get into a conference championship game now with this new model. Do you think USC and Utah are the two representatives in the conference championship game this year? Because I kind of do. Like, I know everybody's touting Oregon and stuff. They got a whole new system going there, man. Like, they got new coach. They've had a ton of, of coaches leaving that program, too, and not just not just coaches that left with Mario Cristobal. They've had, you know, Lanning has hired coaches who then took other jobs somewhere else like a couple weeks later. So it's been kind of a, you know, a bleep show up there in Eugene this offseason. I'm not sold on the quarterback position at Oregon. What I do know is that Utah and USC both have really dynamic quarterbacks, one of them coming off an injury, the other one one of the highest-rated quarterbacks and recruits in the entire country, transferring from Oklahoma. Uh, I, I get the feeling that we're going to see this happen right away. Uh, I get the feeling that USC and Utah are going to be the two best teams in the conference this year. And that's just me, you know, spitballing here, but I just I think we're going to see immediately the changes that were enacted in the offseason come to fruition in the postseason. And I, I don't know if the North gets a representative this year. Because, I mean, look, look okay, the North, you got Washington State who may end up being, I mean, let's call it like it is. I mean, they've got some talent. They may end up being the worst team in in the in the division in the north, and and they may be the worst team in the conference this year, at at, at Washington State. You've got Oregon State, who I look, I I like Jonathan Smith. I think he does a fine job. In fact, they have a great coaching staff up there. Coaching staffs don't always win uh, games for you. I mean, they'll win a game or two here and there and stuff like that. But I don't think Oregon State's got what it takes to win the the north and and potentially win enough games to represent in a conference championship game. Stanford's terrible this year. I mean, you talk about Washington State, uh, Stanford you know, they, they've got a good quarterback, but for the first time in David Shaw's life, they've got a lot of question marks at the offensive line and their defense ain't so good anymore. So, Stanford has got some issues as well. Uh Washington is a complete rebuild is in complete rebuild mode. They lost their entire secondary, which was their bread and butter, uh, and of course, you know the new coaching staff and everything. That's I, they're they're a, a, a you know complete ball of wax right now. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with with Washington, what they look like at the end of the year. And then you got Oregon, I you know, or Cal. Let, let, let's not forget about Cal. Well, you know, Cal's they'll win a few games here and there. They're not they're not competing for a conference championship. Your conference championship competition. It's all here in the South this year. And UCLA, look, UCLA is going to be good. Dorian Thompson-Robinson going to be back. He's, I, I think, what most people would consider, I, I guess, the best quarterback in, in the conference, maybe. I, I mean, I'm not sold on his ability to play the quarterback position, but he certainly wins games at the college level. So, I mean, that's that means something. Uh, so, I think, you know, you got USC, Utah, UCLA, and then – You've got uh, look Arizona State's a dumpster fire. Uh, Arizona is going to be surprising this year for some teams, and I don't think Colorado, although not a slouch, I don't think they're going to put up a huge fight week in and week out. So, I think we may see 
the new changes come to fruition right away here in the Pac-12. I, it's just my little early, early, early season prediction is that we'll see USC-Utah in that, uh, in that uh, conference championship game. And then we'll see what happens from there. We'll see if either of those teams can elevate themselves high enough to get into a CFP and make, you know, create a, a, a immediate dividends for the conference and getting a team into the CFP. You just never know. You, you never know what's going to happen. Cincinnati got in this year. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in the, in the world of college football. That's what makes it so great. That's why it's the best sport in the world. Now, that best sport in the world has a figurehead uh, or someone who considers themselves to be a figurehead probably, and most of, their, most of his fans believe him to be that as well. And Nick Saban, who had some pretty scathing comments to make at a, uh, at a, a I guess it was kind of like a, a conference, uh, like a, some kind of a press conference, a meeting last night for some uh, event that's going to be going on in, in Birmingham uh, over the weekend. And Nick Saban has, it sounds to me like he's been boiling over for a little bit uh, and it finally all just kind of came out and spilled out last night in front of a microphone. We'll tell you about what he said next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Oh, boy. Alabama head coach Nick Saban in front of a, uh, a room of, of people last night. I guess this is at like some kind of a, of a coaches conference or something like that in, in, uh, in Birmingham. That he, There's an event going on in Birmingham, and he was speaking last night. And he took that moment. It's a local business leaders is what it was. He took that moment at the podium to start calling out cheaters. <laughs> he said, quote, and this is in regards to um, basically, he singled out Texas A&M in this in this particular tirade. Singled out Texas A&M and their head coach Jimbo Fisher for buying their top-ranked signing class. He said, "Quote: I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first, and A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player. All right." I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's tough. <laughs> Saban said that the $3 million that Alabama players made last year off name, image, and likeness was, quote, doing it the right way. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this. Let me, let me, let me just – for people who have uh, short memories, apparently like the cantankerous one, Nick Saban, who's now 70 years old, is this the same Nick Saban whom last year at a coaches conference in Texas for high school coaches, you know, basically, uh, hey, uh, you know, come look at what Alabama can do for all your young men that are playing in your programs here in the great state of Texas in front of a room full of football coaches who have probably the, if not the greatest, the second greatest influence on where a player will attend uh, school and where he'll play football at. He told that room of people, hey, we've got a kid who's approaching seven figures in NIL numbers, and he hasn't even taken a snap yet. Was that you? Is that you, Nick Saban? You wouldn't say something like that. You wouldn't try to influence a room full of high school football coaches by telling them that a player who's never even taken a snap for you 
is already approaching seven figures in NIL deals. Would you? Because, gosh, that would almost be like paying for players. That would be like paying for recruiting. That would be hell. That would be cheating, right? The same thing that you're accusing Jimbo Fisher at A&M of doing? Now, look, none of us are, you know, so numb to the fact that uh, that there's cheating rampantly going on in the world of college sports to think that this wasn't going on at every school it's that, that competes at a high level and that has these top five recruiting classes every single year. It's not the weather that brings those kids there. It's not the culture. It's the money. The money is what brings them there. We know that, right? This is no, this is no news to us as college football fans. <laughs> but for him to single out Jimbo Fisher, whom he lost to last year, by the way. Remember that Alabama went to College Station and lost to A&M last year. It was the first time that Nick Saban had lost to a former assistant and then and lost to another one when Kirby Smart got him in the championship game. So uh, Nick is understandably a little a little terse right now, a little upset, probably uh, you know, uh, thinking that things are slipping away from him. But, my God, if Nick Saban – is so arrogant to think that the way that he is doing things at Alabama is different and better than the way that they are doing things at places like Texas A&M and or Jacksonville State, whom he also called out with Deion Sanders. What are you calling out Deion Sanders for? First of all, you guys do commercials together. It's it's coach and prime, right? <laughs> like What happened to that brotherhood? Not to mention... The kid that, that Deion Sanders stole from a Division I school was from Florida State, his own alma mater. And he took him to Jacksonville State. What kind of a threat is that to Nick Saban at Alabama? None. He did him a favor. <laughs> so Nick Saban is just throwing things out there. Now, he's not the only one to claim that Jimbo Fisher has been cheating, essentially, buying recruits because Lane Kiffin, whom, you know, Lane is always willing to open his mouth, and uh, I think he's entertaining as hell, and I love any time that Lane Kiffin's opened his mouth. Because, uh, honestly, like Lane Kiffin, he's not a liar. I think he may be an embellisher at times, and I guarantee you he'll never turn the spotlight back on himself. But uh, when he speaks, it's usually coming from a, a place of, I know this is going on, this is why I'm saying this. Because in, what was it, February? A couple months ago, seems like yesterday, Ole Miss coach uh, Lane Kiffin said that, uh, uh, that, they, that what, what did he say, that Texas A&M, at, at the rate that Texas A&M is going, they're going to have to start paying a luxury tax and how much they paid for their signing class. <laughs> now, A&M signing class was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they signed 25 players. Eight of them were five-star players, which is absolutely bonkers i mean that's insane to think eight five-star players in one recruiting class usually you have eight five stars on a on a roster 110 guys you have eight in one one recruiting year there are going to be a lot of coaches a lot of people lining up with receipts for nick saban and they're going to want their piece of them and it's coming soon so if Nick Saban is is insinuating that he's going to now start cheating because everybody else is, I got news for you. Probably already been doing it, Nick.
Mr. High and Mighty. <laughs> All right, that wraps up hour number one. Still a whole lot more to come here in hour number two. A lot of stuff from the U of A campus. Stay tuned. Just a quick little turnaround after this ESPN Sports Center break. More from the Jeff Dean Show right here on ESPN Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson. K285DL1049FM Tucson. And KMXC HD4 Tucson.